I'm Pastor Mark, if you're new here. Oh, and I got the clicker. Thank you for handing over the power to me. Um, oh, and it's on. Let's see. It's so close. Or maybe it's not on. Now it's on. Okay. I'm excited. That, that's it right there. Um, I am excited to, to be here this fall launch Sunday. I'm excited to be with you guys. And um, I'm really excited about some work that the leadership team and uh, along with staff and some ministry lead teams have done. Um, we had uh, an idea that we needed to get clearer on our purpose and where God is leading us as a church and as a ministry. What are the things that God has, is putting on our hearts um, and, and what is the Spirit actually doing? What are we seeing God do in our midst? Um, and then how do we articulate that in a way that helps us live into it? So some of you guys are already reading because it's already up there. Um, and the fruit of a lot of that work has been some of these words. And so we're going to be spending some time focusing on these things uh, that we're discerning God is calling us into together as a church family. Uh, and we're going to be beginning a sermon series where we, we focus on what Scripture has to say, how God is calling us into these things. And so, so the two main words are belonging and becoming. Belonging and becoming. Belonging is centered in our identity in Jesus Christ. It expresses itself intergenerationally, multi-ethnically, and with, a, with genuineness. So hopefully, as you're reading these and hearing these, these are things that you're seeing happen, and you're also seeing us call in, called into increasingly. Becoming is spirit-led, to know that we belong, but that the spirit is still calling and leading us uh, to become something that we, we perhaps aren't yet. That, that we're call, being called into becoming courageous, contemplative, um, loving mercy and doing justice. That means engaging God's transforming work in the world, belonging and becoming. As I uh, began preparing to introduce this, um, this series, I'm, I'm I became really interested in the relationship between these two words, belong and become. Uh, and I became increasingly convinced that we live in a, a culture and a world uh, where one comes before the other more often. It seems to me that a lot of times what we see and what we feel in our world is that we need to become in order to belong. But what I would posit is that the gospel always teaches that we belong as a foundation to our becoming. Does that make sense? There's, there's two ways of seeing things. One of the, the things that, a news story that stuck out in my mind as I was thinking about this, this week was, um, I, I forget the name, the guy who did the college admission scandals, right? So it's becoming more clear how he operated, and one of the things that he would do is, is get with groups of elite parents and play on their fears of not belonging. 
he would, he would really play up the fact like, oh, you think your kids are doing fine? You think they'll get into a good school? Well, they won't, right? They have to be more in order to get into the right place. They have to become something maybe that they're not. Like, what is it, water polo player or something like that, um, right? Like, like, you need to become this thing in order to belong. And I think that plays so deeply to the cultural fears, to the longings, to what we see in our world, that we have to become something in order to belong. Back to school season, I just realized I start looking at um, clothes every fall, right? It's a habit from back to school where I had to think about, okay, what, you know, like the, your back to school wardrobe, I didn't, I resisted outfits, but my back to school wardrobe, particularly in the 90s, my shoes, right, like had a lot to say about my belonging. If I was going to feel like I belong, I needed to become this thing in order to belong. I needed to look a certain way. But I believe that scripture tells us that belonging exists before becoming. So I'd like us to examine that together, knowing uh, that we're in a broken context, right? But I want to spend more time on the vision of Scripture uh, for what human life is supposed to look like, what we're being called into, um, than I want to spend on the barriers and the problems to that. So when you're hearing me say things, you might be like, oh, Mark's super optimistic, um, and, and I, and I want to be. Um, it doesn't mean that I want to minimize any of the barriers, and we're going to have a chance to get into that. But I want us to see a vision of belonging, of what God is calling us into, the identity that God's created for us, uh, in a way that allows us to become. I think a sign of belonging is laughter. Have you ever tried to laugh in a group of people where you felt like you didn't belong? And what did that laughter sound like? <laughs> right? I've done it, right? You laugh to try to fit in, but it never sounds quite the same as the laughter that you have when you know you're loved. Um, Elliot, our youngest son, who's three, uh, really likes to laugh. And I think he reinforces his sense of belonging with us and his enjoyment of us. And a couple, I think it was yesterday at the kitchen table, uh, he gets up and he sits in his new kind of big boy booster seat and he says, were you telling a joke? I was like, no, do you want to hear a joke? He's like, yeah. I was like, and so I was, why did the chicken, ah, ha, 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 he just laughs. You, jokes don't have to have a punchline. They don't have to mean anything. The point is he wants to share this moment of delight with people who love him. Scripture tells us that before the world began, that in the eternity of God in three persons, before you were around, there was laughter and delight and belonging. Belonging is at a base state of not just the universe, but of eternity, of existence. 
I think we catch a glimpse of the Trinity of God in, in kind of multiple persons in Proverbs 8 um, that's talking about kind of wisdom personified. Um, but church history has, has seen that as a reference to, to Jesus, uh, to the, the incarnate son, well, even before he was incarnate. And it says this, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day. Rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in the whole world, and delighting in mankind. Now, these words would translate probably better to laughing or joking. I think somehow rejoicing is very, it feels like it's in a hymn book, right? You know, when it's rejoicing. But the image is of delight. I think Meister Eckhart uh, captured this, well, I think it was in the, the 13th century, He says, in the heart of the Trinity, the Father laughs and gives birth to the Son. The Son laughs back at the Father and gives birth to the Spirit. The whole Trinity laughs and gives birth to us. Before the world existed, there was belonging. And when the world was created, it was created for belonging. We're put, uh, we're designed to belong in place, we're designed to belong with purpose, and we're designed to belong to a people. We're designed for place, purpose, and a people. Have you ever fantasized about having a dream house? I have fantasized about having a dream house. Stephanie got me convinced that we were gonna win the HGTV dream house. (laughs) This one, that's my house in Washington somewhere uh, but have you ever have you ever fantasized or I don't know if you've ever watched HGTV where there's this whole crew of people rushing to get this house ready to look perfect for the big reveal when you're gonna walk in to this amazing place prepared for you I think that's the image that we get when God creates the heavens and the earth. The imagery of Genesis 1 uh, starts with chaos. That There's the surface of the deep. There's these waters. There's undifferentiated light and darkness or something. Um, there's, there's, there's no place for anyone. And God separates light from dark, land from water. He creates God makes land. He brings forth plants and animals. And finally, finally, after the six days of getting your dream house ready, God puts you, God puts people into the place that he's prepared. You're created for a place. You're created on a place to stand. 
It reminds me a, a little bit of uh, this um, kind of philosophy of, of housing. Has anyone heard of the housing first movement? So, so there's been this idea that in order to get people off the streets from living in poverty and homelessness, uh, we've been going at it by, by helping them become people who can have houses. Uh, and, and so there's been a lot of, there's been efforts at drug and alcohol treatment. First, you gotta get off of your substance abuse problem, or you have to address your mental health, and then you'll be able to have stable housing. And they've found, uh, some researchers have found, or, or are claiming to have found, that what's actually more helpful is to have a place where you belong, where you can address those problems from. How the, the housing, having a place, becomes first. Um, and, and I mean, that sounds, that sounds right to me. I'm not trying to say like, that I know all the ins and outs of that as a policy decision. But I, what I'm saying is that that's how God created us and in the kingdom and in the church is that we're designed to have a place to stand first, that God has granted you that, that you are a dream home winner. And that that's echoed in scripture over and over again from the time, from creation, yes, you see that. You're, there's this beautiful, diverse, uh, teeming with life place that you're put into. Um, but then when God calls Abraham, when he wants to make a new people that is, are gonna be a blessing, he says, go from your country to the land that I will show you. There's going to be a place for you. And then Jesus reminds us of this promise of a place in John 14, verses 2 through 3. He says, my father's house has many rooms or many mansions, many dream homes. Uh, if that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Right? We're, we're designed to be in a place. That's the goal and the, our destination. Along with designed to have a place to be, a place to thrive, we're designed with a purpose. So I'm going to say uh, you're Spider-Man. Is Spider-Man one word? Did I mess that up? Sorry. <laughs> you are, Spider-Man is, uh, he, he became this, this, uh, this superhero uh, based on this ability, right? And I think there's part of us all that longs to have a purpose and a place and a job, right? And I think that God has created us with purpose. We see it in the garden uh, in Genesis 2.15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Before there was fall, before there was destruction, there was a purpose that was linked to the place that Adam 
immediately had a job. We see it in Exodus, in, uh, in other parts of the Old Testament too. When God's creating a people, uh, this time in the Exodus, and when, when Moses comes out with a people uh, out of slavery uh, to reflect God's goodness, there's all, there's all kinds of laws. And, and some of the, the longest, most detailed, uh, sometimes the boring parts, if you're trying to read through the Bible in a year, some people try to do that. This is like where you give up in March. Um, where it seems really technical and boring, but there's a lot of information given about who got what land. So you'll see these passages where the land is divided up by tribe and by people. That people are, and then there's a lot of laws about the boundary markers of the land. Uh, and then there's a lot of laws about what to do with property. So, so to summarize those, the design of God's people was that everybody had a chunk of land, except for the Levites who were like the priests, and they still were designed to have a, a house or a housing in the city. And, and they were, they were allow, allotted that place, and there was something unchanging about that. In... Leviticus uh, 25, verse 13, it says, In this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. So every 50 years, uh, and, and then there was another way that it went in every seven years. You could sell your land, but you could only sell it for a certain amount of time. If you got into trouble, if you couldn't become the farmer that you were supposed to be, you could sell your land but it would come back to you. Um, because land, uh, in the Old Testament, in an agrarian-based uh, economy, land was a job. Your land was a job. That you were granted that just for being. You weren't needing to become that something in order to get that. Can you imagine? I see people, you know working so hard. What do you have to do to save up for a home? What do you have to do to save up for a place? Uh, what do you have to do to get a job, right? It's taken for granted in our society that you have to become, you have to sell yourself in order to have these things. In God's economy, in the gospel of good news, everyone is given a place and a purpose, which is a job. You're, you're given what you need to be productive. You belong. So in the year of Jubilee, everybody, whether you messed up or not, whether you squandered your land and your job and your opportunity or not, you returned to your land. And later, God says, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. You belong with a purpose. And you belong to each other. We belong in a place. We belong with a purpose or a job. And we belong to people. We belong to each other. Genesis 2, 20 through 23. 
uh, is a text that's kind of gets filled with baggage. I think it gets filled with a lot of our baggage around gender, but the main point is that people belong with people. Let's listen to it together. It says, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds and the sky and all the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper or partner was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. The Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. There's this exclamation of delight. There's this lonely human being wanting community and connection and belonging and looking at all these animals, which are great, but it is not the same. And there's this delight of belonging with other people. It's not primarily a text necessarily about marriage or relationships. It includes that, but it's about the fact that we belong to each other, that you belong in a people. The kingdom of God is more like Lilo and Stitch than like Survivor. (laughs) Have you guys watched Survivor? I I watched it a little bit. That was a long time ago. I'm dating myself. Survivor is a show based on, it's like a lot of shows, it's based on getting kicked off the island, right? Like you need to become, you need to get the right alliances, but but ultimately there's only going to be one person left that gets to enjoy this place and the resources, and I think you win money, right? There's only going to be one person left. And we're going to, every week, we're going to figure out who we want to exclude by voting them off the island, whether they're an asset or a liability. Uh, Lilo and Stitch uh, talks about ohana. That's the Hawaiian word for family. And there's this great line in the movie that says, ohana means family. Family means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. Not even the weird little aliens. <laughs> right? Ohana means family. Family means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. We're created to belong to each other, to delight in each other, to be, participate with other human beings. Belonging is intergenerational. Everybody has something to offer. Acts 2, 17 through 18 says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. These are the last days. This is is what Acts is talking about. That we're living in the last days when God's spirit will be on all people. And it says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they'll prophesy. The spirit of God is on our kids. The spirit of God is on our single folks, on our married folks, on our older folks, on our younger folks. 
the spirit of God, the belonging in this community is intergenerational. We need each other. And so as a church, we delight in the opportunity to receive from each other. That's countercultural. That's not always the way things are set up in our world. And sometimes it takes a little bit of effort. But we're called to belong to each other. And our age doesn't separate us. Belonging is multi-ethnic. The belonging in the kingdom of God reflects that everyone's created by the same God. And that our course of diverse languages and expressions is the music of heaven. The course of our diverse languages, expressions, and cultures is the music of heaven. That's what Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says. When it says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Belonging includes everybody from every tongue, tribe, and nation, from every generation. And it's that diversity of voice that makes the community of God's people reflect his goodness to know and grow together in a way uh, that, that brings us that delight of the real kingdom of God. Belonging is genuine. That was the last uh, kind of word that we had under belonging. When you really know that you belong, you're free to be genuine. You're free to be honest, to bring your whole self, right? You're free to laugh and have fun. You're not quite so worried about being misunderstood or by putting on a good front, making sure you wear just the right thing to church. When you belong, you're genuine. You're free to bring your worries. You're free to have a bad day or a good day. And I think that belonging is really the source of becoming. Sometimes we look at, at what it means to belong and we realize, man, this, how far we are from there, right? And so becoming and belonging kind of reinforce each other. It's kind of a back and forth go between. I think it definitely starts with belonging. If you know that you belong, if you know that God is giving you what you need to have place, to have purpose, to, to belong to people, when you're rooted in that, uh, then your interactions with people change. They're different. Man, when I think of all the times that I do something messed up or weird or relationally awkward, it's almost always because I know I don't have that sense of belonging. I'm worried about whether I belong. 
And if I take God's word for it, if I live into God's foundational belonging that he's offering me, then I have this chance to transform the way I engage with the world and with people and with my church. Belonging is foundational, and it's this source of becoming. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Belonging in Jesus is where fruit comes from. It's where becoming comes from. It's where growth comes from. It's where our ability to to do that engagement of loving mercy and doing justice. Man, what a great example of, of belonging and becoming is adorned in grace. Knowing, hey, people who feel like they don't belong are vulnerable to predators. There's all kinds of things. And how serious are the people of God to reach out and, and provide? How, how, how good are we? How seriously do we take that when we see people and segments of our population who feel like they don't belong? How seriously are we, become, are we at becoming a people that creates belonging? Uh, where people can grow and realize uh, who they're made to be and bear fruit. Kind of my questions launching us into this year around belonging are whether we can really believe that we belong before we become. Maybe take, a, take a second to think about what are you able to believe that you belong before you become what you hope to be or what you think would make you valuable or have a place? How would you experience your life? Or how would your life in this space at West Hills Covenant Church be different if you knew that you deeply belonged with a purpose to these people called to be your family? What would it look like to know you belonged here and to extend that to each other? Would you laugh more? Would you speak up more? Would you worship more freely? Would you have danced at Montagna? Or would you, if you felt free to cross your arms like I did? (laughs) I think God's calling us to create this outpost of the kingdom where belonging is central. And where we see God's spirit transform us as we extend it to each other.